Hello and welcome to Movement, the weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, we interview a leader from within our movement and then ask them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Hello, welcome back to our second season of Movement. Um, This is our opportunity to listen and imagine together with people from across our Baptist churches of South Australia. I'm really excited because this season we've got a couple of new team members here at Baptist Churches SA that we're going to interview, but we're going to get out into our churches and we're going to talk to some pastors and leaders from across our movement and hear what God is up to in different places and spaces. But for today, I am actually handing over control of the microphone and the uh, chair to my guest, who you've already heard from in this podcast, and that's Elliot Keane. So Elliot, what are we doing today? Uh, It's exciting to take over the hosting role today and turn the tables and interview you, Melinda. We want to hear from you as we begin this new season. So we're really excited to ask you some questions, to hear a bit more about who you are and what's going on across our movement as well. Um, So I want to ask as we start... For you to tell us a bit more about yourself. Um, we often hear you on a platform, see you on a platform, hear you with the Bible open, and we love all that about you as you lead and preach and inspire our movement. But I'm keen to dig in a little bit more into who you are. And so wondering if you could tell us a bit about the passions and experiences that have shaped you and brought you into this new role. I love it when people turn my own questions back onto me. <laughs> uh, so I think the first thing I'd have to talk about would be meeting Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, that what what shapes me and makes me who I am and has brought me into this role. Um, I met Jesus. I had some um, involvement with the church when I was a kid, but really I would say when I was 15 years old, um, I had an experience through a good friend of mine at high school who introduced me to Jesus and I had an encounter with him and I decided that this is what I wanted to do with my life was follow Jesus. I had no idea where that was going to take me or what that would look like. Um, but yeah, I think that that relationship kind of shapes me and I often go back to that story um, and that period in my life and both to marvel at what God has done, yeah. but also to remind myself that that's the, the kind of the core of who I am and what I'm on about. What was it about Jesus? that caught your attention? I think um, look, the, the story and, you know, the understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done, but actually probably more than that, I had a, a you know, a sense of personal encounter and experience that this is a person, um, you know, God who is a person, but this is someone who um, wants to know me and knows me and wants to walk with me and be my That's friend good. and is inviting me into, yeah, I just... It was, it was probably the experience of Jesus himself and then the community of people that was like, oh, this is, this is a relationship and a community of relationships that I want to be a part of. And I've, uh, you just said it then, and I've heard you say this before, when you first encountered Jesus and had that experience, it, you named it then, it's what you wanted to do with your life. Can you explain what changed for you? It wasn't just meeting Jesus and then life continued. Yeah. Something shifted. Yeah, even as, as at that age, even as a teenager, I really had this sense, if this is true, I think I remember saying that to myself at the time, if this is true, yeah. you know, if what they're telling me about Jesus is true, if he is who he says he is and the Bible is a true story, then this has to change my whole life. This mm. can't just be an optional add-on. Um, and so, yeah, I had a sense of I want to give my whole life to this. Whatever right. that looks like, this is what I want to kind of do with my life, do with my time, make the centre of who I am. So, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty big decision at the time. It wasn't like, like a, a gradual, I get to know Jesus and then I'll figure out that what place he has in my life. It was that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be all in. And now you've ended up spending most of your professional life in ministry, working for God's kingdom in that way as pastor and leader and preacher in all sorts of different contexts, lecturer as well. How did, how did that happen? How did you end up in ministry? 
Yeah, so that was never the intention. As I said, right in those early days, it was, I want to follow Jesus and I want to make my life about this. But I had no idea what that would look like. And in fact, the friend who um, had kind of introduced me to Jesus, her parents had been cross-cultural workers uh, in Africa. And so I kind of had this sense that that's what I would do, that I would go and live in Africa and you know be a missionary. And that, that seemed to be the romantic picture maybe that I had in my mind of how you served God with your whole life would be to move overseas and, and go and, and do it that way. Um, that obviously <laughs> didn't end up working out for numbers of reasons. But for me, God has kind of led me over that time one step at a time. Yeah. You know, Psalm 119 says that God's word is a light to our feet yeah. and a lamp to our path. And that's been my experience. I can only ever see the light at my feet. Yeah. And so I see the next step and then I take it uh, and I trust God. And then it shows me the next step. And I'm kind of grateful because I think if you'd show me when I was 15 where I am now, I probably might have run away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, over time, just leading me into um, studying the Bible and wanting to learn more about it because I wanted to understand this this story, this book, this um, revelation of God that I'd committed my life to. Yeah. I want to know what it's about and what difference it makes. And then getting involved in communities where people gave me opportunities and invited me into different spaces and yeah. One of the things we love about you and um, we know that you're passionate about is your passion for the Word of God and studying it, understanding it, as you've just said, and then teaching it and communicating it well. What's what's going on there? Why so interested? Yeah, I think a number of reasons. As I said, when I, I after I finished high school, um, I had kind of not wasn't sure what I wanted to do and um, so I took some time off but I had met some people who were at a place called Cape and Ray, which is a bible school in New South Wales so not a bible college where you go and you know learn to become a minister <laughs> um, but a place where you actually just go and study the bible um, particularly designed for people in that kind of t- late teenage early 20s period of life and so I thought this is great if, if this is the book that I'm going to follow I want to understand it so I think I've always been someone who likes to understand I'm a, I'm a head person I'm a thinker I want to unpack it and understand it fully and yeah. get to know it as much as I can but I also think I've, I've always been someone who's interested in language and words and articulating and speaking and making things clear Um, and so I wanted to get that for myself so I could explain it to myself first and then to others. And no one can see this on the podcast, but you're also, as you teach, really great at communicating with your hands. I no one talk. else can see that. But if you've seen Melinda preach or teach anyway, you've seen this before. I can't talk without using my hands. But yeah, so that really set me up. So as I said, I did that for a year. And then even when I was at university, I studied law at university, which probably speaks to my love of words and language and <laughs> yeah. public speaking and arguing and debating and all those things. And detail and <laughs> detail. attention to detail. Yeah. Um, but even then, I started doing a couple of subjects at Bible College. So I went to Bible College South Australia just for my own interest again just go I love this I want to understand this better I want to you know unpack it um, I want to get to know it and so even my journey with theological study was not about going into ministry it didn't know where it was leading it was just that one step at a time yeah being equipped and understanding the word and obviously that's continued over time I've been a bit of a perpetual student there hasn't been <laughs> yeah. too many times in my life where I haven't been studying because I think I found certainly with the bible with God's word the more I study it the more I want to study it and the more I learn it, the more I realise that there is so much more to learn um, and the more, yeah, I want to go into it. Sometimes people ask, you know, that old question, like, what's your favourite passage in the Bible? Yeah. This might sound a bit corny, but often I say it's it's the part of the Bible that I'm reading now because the more time I spend in a particular part of the Bible, the more I realise how wonderful it is and amazing and I get really excited about it. Yeah. So. Well, you've, uh, you've actually externalised one passage of scriptures by getting it tattooed on your foot. Yes, I have. <laughs> What's the story <laughs> there? everybody that. Um, that actually came out of my PhD. So I did my PhD on the Psalms and on a particular group of Psalms. And again, 
not so much because I went, oh, the Psalms are my favourite bit of the Bible, but because I started studying the Psalms and went, these are amazing and I want to know and understand them more. But the Psalms I was looking at are called the Psalms of Ascent or the Psalms of Pilgrimage, the walking Psalms. And as I was studying them, probably the, the biggest impact that doing my PhD has had on me that might seem counterintuitive is it helped me to realise that thinking about things is not the end goal. Yeah, yeah. I kind of already knew that, but yeah. I, you know, I'm spending all this time, like spending three years literally thinking about these texts in the Bible and going, thinking about them is not where it's at. These are about walking. These are about physically in an embodied way, living it out. Yeah. Um, and so the tattoo I have on my foot is actually from Psalm 121, uh, verse 6, which the tattoo says, uh, Adonai Setika Uboeka, uh, Adonai Yishmo Setika Uboeka, which um, nobody else would understand that I made a mistake then, but it means the Lord watches your steps or the yeah. Lord guides your going out and your coming in. So, yeah, it was a bit of a, I think at the time I said it was three life decisions coming together, like my commitment to follow Jesus, yeah. uh, you know, that's never going away. My PhD, now that I've done it, is never going away, so therefore yeah. I can get a tattoo that's never going away because <laughs> that's great. it's the only one. <laughs> And you often talk about uh, feet and place in our conversations, in preaching that I've heard you do. And yeah. we might get to talk about that a little bit more later. But um, it's also something that we know about you is your love of taking your feet and yourself into other places. Um, and tell us a bit about that. What's what's your interest in travel, in the world? What's, yeah. What's happening there? Yeah, a few different things. Um, yeah, that definitely that idea of the feet has really struck me over the last few years. And I've realised, even before I thought about it, that I love um, walking walking the world can I put it that way so the thing I love about travel and I feel like I've got a bit of a reputation obviously I haven't been anywhere in the last (laughs) year and a half (laughs) but whenever I go overseas I love to walk in different places um, and just to you know get my feet out onto the dirt and onto the pavement and walk the streets and get a sense of the place through my feet I would have never articulated that way but that's what I'm doing Um, because I think it helps me locate myself in a different place and therefore see um, the world from a new perspective. No, not see it, walk it from a new perspective. And I love learning about how different cultures and different people groups see the world and live in the world. And probably my favourite thing about travel is actually seeing how different people around the world worship Jesus. Yeah. So I have loved visiting churches all around the world in different cultures and different contexts and seeing it's, it's the same story, it's the same God, it's, you know, it's the same Jesus, but it looks different in different places. And I'm so inspired and encouraged and deepened in my own faith by experiencing how other people um, do yeah, that. That's yeah, good. yeah. The other big part of it is probably been travelling to the places of the Bible. Yeah. So yeah, um, of course. Yeah, I did some study in Israel back in two thousand and five. I think it was. I went and did a subject over there as part of my master's study, and that really brought the Bible alive in a different way. Yeah. Like, I don't think you have to go to Israel to understand the Bible at all. But walking the places and going, oh, this is where this took place. It kind of grounded it and gave it that real historical reality yeah and then obviously had the opportunity to go back a few times take a few groups from Tabor and I got to go with you that was great yeah it was a lot of fun and one of the things I remember is not just your passion for the interesting kind of getting into the the detail and the history and the archaeology and the biblical context of the places that we went to but just your excitement and passion for being tra- traveling and learning and the cultures <laughs> and the people. And um, so all of it mixed together. It was really fun to see you so excited about being in a place like that. And even though you'd been there already a couple of times before we went yeah, and you've been again since, you were still so excited about yeah. being there. And now I really remember yeah. that. I think it's it's the same as the Bible. This is what I find. I know this is a connection that 
many people make. But I think of the Bible, God's word, and I think of traveling and God's world. They're my two little phrases, God's word and God's world. But both of them are like kind of never ending learning opportunities. Like yeah. there is always more to discover in the Bible because it's the story of God. And it doesn't matter how many times you've read a particular passage, God is always speaking through it and revealing more of himself to you through it. And in a sense, the world, God's creation and humanity and different cultures around the world is the same kind of thing. Like yeah. there's, I just love that there's always something more to learn or a new way to see the world or to be challenged about how you've seen the world or the assumptions that you've always made about the way that the world is. Yeah, that's that so good. gets me excited. I can hear you being excited now. You <laughs> might start speaking even faster. So the other thing about feet is not just walking, but mm-hmm. it's about place. Yes. And we've talked about this a lot and we've mm-hmm. explored this as an idea in theology. But like me, you're not from Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about home and place and what that has been like for you in life and what that's yeah. like for you now. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I grew up in New South Wales and I came to Adelaide to go to university. And I think at the time when I was 19, I, I thought maybe I'd come for a year and you know, transfer back. <laughs> yeah. Here I am all these years later. But probably it was place, but also the people and like being grounded in the community. Yeah. And I think this probably does answer that question of you know what has led me to my current role. For me, um, the church really has been my family. So I moved to South Australia not knowing anybody. I'd never been here before. I didn't know a single person. And so I have no family here, like no biologically family here. Um, and so the church really quickly became my community and became my family. Yeah. And it's been really important to me to be grounded in a local church. So um, you know, I was at one church for 17 years. You know, That's where I went when I first moved to Adelaide, became my family. I ended up going through my ministry training and working there at Blackwood Hills. And so it's a huge part of my story, yeah. that as my family. But even then in the last few years moving to I was at Mount Barker for a time and then now being a part of the community at Richmond yeah grounding myself in a local community of people who are trying to walk out their faith in a particular time and place yeah yeah it's just a really big part of my story yeah. I think the other way that works out in practice for me these days is I live in the city and <laughs> I love that I live in the city which sounds a bit weird maybe but yeah. yeah I just really enjoy living in the CBD in Adelaide I think it's a great place to live it's a great place to walk yeah. you know there's a bit of community there's there's still some challenges with you know connecting with neighbours but something about living in the city you know people are on their feet a lot more than in their cars so you, you know you don't drive into the driveway and drive out and not see your neighbours as you did in other places I've lived but you constantly walking um around the streets and kind of seeing people and yeah doing life alongside them in a slightly different way i quite enjoy hearing your stories of art discoveries or the people you bump into and the things that you see or the people that you interact with it's been quite fun to hear you live life and experience the city as your place yeah there's a lot of fun things in the city like there is always hidden um like the number of art um whether it's graffiti I don't know if it's the right word but good graffiti or artist <laughs> but or whether it's actually public art that's you know deliberately been placed there um, there's a lot in the kind of area of the city the southwestern corner of the city where I live and then also nature maybe you appreciate nature more in the city like it might sound counterintuitive <laughs> yeah. um, but you know we have the parklands I yeah. love to go walking in the parklands but just seeing you know in in the maybe unexpected places the beauty of God's creation in the midst of kind of humanity's creation of the city that yeah, intertwined images Really enjoy it. That's good. I'm I'm really interested in hearing um, some more about uh, how you hold the Bible and uh, connect it to our movement and what you see it te- te- leading us into into the future. Uh, but before we keep going, I want to ask a question around this podcast as we start this season. Yeah. What? Why do we do this? <laughs> and who do you hope is listening? Yeah. Why do we have a podcast? Uh, so we put some of the podcast last year. We've been thinking about it for a while. I reckon for a year or two before before that so once a year we have this 
conference, this gathering, four-day conference or leadership conference, which is really one of the main opportunities for people in our churches who are, you know, in leadership roles or in voluntary roles or in ministry roles to get together and see each other and be part of something together and go, hey, we, we're, you know, I'm grounded in my local church, but I'm also part of this wider movement. And there are other people who are asking the same questions I am and wrestling with the same realities of life and ministry, and we can encourage and support and learn from each other. And so it's kind of how do you do that, you know, between conferences? You can't have a conference every day of the year. <laughs> nope. um, but, yeah, I love podcasts personally. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I really got into them in the last few years, found them a really helpful way when I'm walking or, or when I'm driving to work. And, yeah, so the idea of having an opportunity where people can listen into each other's stories and get a sense of what God is up to across our wider movement that hopefully encourages and inspires and invites them in what they're doing and but also to imagine what God might have for them next. So I think you asked who do I hope is listening. Again, that's been a question I've asked lots of other people last year. So what's my answer? I mean, I would love to think there are people like I was, you know, as I talked about when I first met Jesus or when I first came to Adelaide listening, you know, people who are really grounded and engaged in their local church because that's where they've met Jesus and that's where their community and their family is. Um, But just hearing stories that can be that imagination or that sparks that idea of maybe what the next step is of what, you know, if, if, what is God calling me to do in terms of my ministry and my leadership or living out my faith in practice in my workplace? Um, yeah, I hope that people are listening to get inspired by the stories of other people, maybe a, a couple of steps further down the path yeah, than good. they are. Yeah. yeah. Now this year you've had some change in role mm-hmm. um, and you've started uh, in February as our Director of Ministries, a new title for a new role in Baptist Church in South Australia. How have you ended up in this role and what are you excited about? Yeah, so how I ended up in this role again, I just think, oh gosh, the way that God the way that God leads is is unexpected. I certainly never set out uh, to see myself in this role. But not just my local church, I think our movement of churches for me has really become my family yeah. over the last few years. And funnily enough, I had an opportunity after I finished my PhD, I actually had an opportunity to apply for a job in London overseas. And you know, given how much I love travel, the idea of living overseas really appeals to me and you know I thought that that would be a great thing to do. And it was actually in the process of doing that that I really clearly both heard God speak and I think realised for myself, this is my family. These are my people. I I am committed to the movement of Baptist churches in South Australia. This is who God has placed me amongst, you know, grounded me in. Uh, This is who I connect with. I felt like I had some pretty good relationships. So at that point, I'd done some work with Global Attraction, our our mission organisation, and and through that had the opportunity to get out into a number of our different churches across South Australia and and even in the Territory as well, meet a whole bunch of people and just love seeing what God was up to and, and feeling part of it. Um, so yeah, there was that, that was a really clear moment, um, after my PhD of, of this is where God has placed me. Why would I kind of give that up and start again? Yeah. Because God has called me to serve the people that I'm amongst. And then, so then I was in the role of, um, ministry accreditation for a few years and also working at Richmond Baptist on the pastoral team there, uh, which was so much fun. And, you know, last two great, teams yeah. I was part of, yeah. yeah, I got to work with you, uh, in both those roles. Um, and then working alongside Mike Mills over the last couple of years um, and kind of getting to, to see a bit more of what the role was like and then when he let us know he was finishing up, that was a pretty big discernment process of is this something I want to put my hand up for and I really entered into that process which was last year very much of the view that I wanted to hear what the movement was saying so I'll get to this in a minute but you know I'm, I'm pretty committed to Baptist values and I'm a Baptist <laughs> yes. by conviction and part of that conviction is that I don't just hear God speak um, into my life yeah. actually I hear 
and we hear God speak and that impacts my life as well. Yeah. So I'm part of a community first before I'm an individual. Um, and so I genuinely really approach that whole process saying to the team, um, the, the search team and the board, I want to know, you know, I want to listen and, and hear what you think God is saying and kind of submit myself to that. So yeah, it was a it was an interesting process and took a few months and there was a lot of discernment and a lot of listening and wrestling and yeah, thinking about stepping into something new and different and challenging and stretching, but through the affirmation probably of the community and that call, having a sense of, yeah, this is where God wants me to be right now. And from what I'm hearing and from our point of view on the team, we're excited to have you in the role, Melinda, Thank and you. really looking forward to um, what God has for us all next in the movement. You mentioned before Baptist values, and this is something I've heard you speak passionately about in a number of different forums. Tell us a little bit more about that, how you hold, um, you've talked about how we hold, how you hold the kind of identity of who we are. Yeah, so it's probably another part of my personality that I, probably people know if they know me, but um, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Can I say that? <laughs> you can <laughs> say so, that. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a history, in the, uh, sorry, I've had interest in things like history and, you know, understanding and, you know, things that maybe some people find interesting and other people don't. So understanding our story and our history, but also understanding things like constitutions and documents that explain and, yeah. and that attempt to, in, in weird ways, articulate the story of who we are, of what we value, of why we do what we do. It's kind of that always wanting to understand and yeah. unpack thing. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like over the last few years, like I have gotten really interested in learning the story of Australian Baptists and particular South Australian Baptists. Yeah. Maybe part of that was because I didn't grow up in South Australia. So my, my first introduction to South Australian history in particular was actually South Australian Baptist history. Yeah. And that's a great story. It is a great story. Really good story. Yeah. And so kind of knowing that story and then seeing and realising, particularly in my previous role of ministry accreditation, so as a pastor, as someone who's been kind of called and affirmed by our movement as someone who's gifted in leadership and pastoral leadership and working with other people on that journey, the best way I could think about what that means, you know, what does it mean to be accredited? What does it mean to be ordained? I think one of the ways that I, I like to talk about it is that these are the people that we entrust to hold that story, mm. to hold that history and to shape it moving forwards. Because what I love about Baptist values is um, we talk about values rather than, I don't know, some other word. Because <laughs> it's it's a story, but it's not so set and fixed in stone that it doesn't move with the times. Yeah. It's yeah. very Baptist to say we are listening for the voice of Jesus right here and right now in this place and this time. And so we carry the story, but we actually have the opportunity to shape it and be a part of what God's doing. So I see ministry roles um, in terms of the wider movement and certainly the role that I'm now in as a trust. And what I mean by trust is trusted to hold that story and trusted to lead it going forward. So always wanting to honour and value what we, our shared commitments, what we hold to, what has shaped us and made us who we are, yeah. but also wanting to be open to what Jesus is saying right here and right now. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And it's good to have someone uh, in the role you're in now holding a posture like that. It excites me. Hopefully it excites everyone else. I think so. I should yeah. put in a plug. I think we might have mentioned on the podcast last year, but I had the opportunity uh, in 2019 to be involved in a project called the Baptist. Yes. Uh, the value, well, not the Baptist, sorry. It's called the Values Project, yeah. but it's four short videos that unpack our Baptist values. And I just think they're really good. Um, really well done. <laughs> Sounds a bit, I think they're really well done you. I was involved in creating them. But yeah. I think it's just a really helpful, accessible way of, of articulating this is who we are and understanding. So I'd really encourage people. It's on the uh, Australian Baptist website, which is 
baptist.org.au called The Values Project. And probably my slight disappointment is it came out, it was launched right at the end of 2019. Yeah. And so then, you know, we had Christmas and then COVID hit. So we probably haven't had the opportunity for people Maybe to... Maybe it's time for a relaunch. Exactly. People, <laughs> yeah. people aren't aware of it. Go and have a look at yeah. them because there's some good stuff they're, in there. They're good value. And, and feedback that I've heard from people who particularly haven't grown up with a Baptist story and background is that it invited them in mm, even good. further than they were already able to be part of our community. You've, you've been in the role now for a few months. Uh, what are you seeing, hearing, learning? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I'm learning lots in my role as well, but what I'm probably really excited about is what I'm seeing and learning out in our churches because yeah. yeah. I think you know my role and our team exists to serve and support and encourage and influence the life and mission of our local churches. Yeah. That's where you know we believe you know local church is where Jesus is at work and people are following him in that really grounded way. And so our role is really a coming alongside and supporting and you know serving role. And so I love getting out into our churches and. Whenever people ask me, you know, what am I seeing? It's it's the diversity, but not diversity for diversity's own sake. It's the diversity amongst our churches that comes from people living out, following Jesus in their context. Yeah, that's good. So in missionary, in you know, missiology terms, we talk about contextualization, yeah. that our churches should look different to each other because following Jesus in a community is going to depend on the location of that community, the story and the history of that community, and who the people in that people, community are. Yeah, yeah the personalities yeah. and the experiences and yeah. the life stories they bring to it. And so where you are is going to change. So our communities, um, our churches, you know, in rural and regional areas or those up in the territory or those in particular parts of the city, which are quite different from each other. Yeah. You know, the different suburbs have different personalities and yeah. styles and stories. Yeah. So they will look different for those reasons. But our churches also look different because of the particular people that God has gifted them with. And so, yeah, I just love seeing um, how, again, we're, we're following the same Jesus. It's like what I said when I travelled the world. Yeah. <laughs> same thing here in South Australia. Yeah. We're worshipping the same Jesus. We're on the same mission. We're seeking to make him known but in practice we can't all do everything and so seeing people do what works well in their context really excites me yeah that's really good that's exciting to hear and it's always good for us here at the uh at the office to hear stories from what's happening in our churches so we're keen to Absolutely. keep connecting keep coming and visiting and keep serving our churches yeah we all way. love being invited out yeah <laughs> There's also uh, in, in this role, in church ministry in general, in life, in culture in general at the moment, it feels like there's lots that we're wrestling with. There's mm. cultural change swirling around us that we're, some of it's shared and we're all experiencing. Some of it's just affecting different kinds of people, different groups of people. How, how do we hold ourselves well as followers of Jesus as a movement of churches in that complexity? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a quick answer to that. I think yeah. that's, the, that's the wrestle, and yeah. that's certainly what I'm learning and, and wrestling with is how do we see kind of nuance and, and ambiguity and how do we hold them at the same time as holding really tight to, to Jesus and, and our values and what makes us who we are. And I think, you know, there's kind of big cultural issues and questions that we're facing at this time in history and, you know, at this moment. But there's also big things that are, we always face in life, I yeah. guess, and it's that, that balance or that tension between holding fast to the truth of the gospel of, of who Jesus is and living it out in a way that makes sense for the people that we're seeking to communicate it to. And, you know, we know that we don't always get that right. Yeah. So I think sometimes one of the, the challenges is we know kind of either what we believe or what we want to say or what we think, but we also know how that has been communicated badly. And so we kind of sit in this wanting to change because we want to change um, how we're heard maybe or how 
um, we're understood, but not wanting to change yeah. because what we believe is we, what we believe is true. I don't know if that makes sense, but there, there's a bit of a wrestle there, I think, sometimes. Um, and I know we, we talk a lot about things like tone and posture, yeah. but I think, as I think like language matters. Uh, the way that you communicate can sometimes be as important as what you communicate. Um, and so I think wrestling as churches with how we can be heard well, how we can be seen well in what we're seeking to make known and live out. Yes, to go back to missiology, a way that I'd put it is I believe, and I really learned this from working cross-culturally and you know, working with cross-cultural workers and, and seeing how they think about things, we have this great news yeah, about it's great. Jesus. It's yeah. a really good story and it's great news and it's a great invitation for people and we're the ones who want to share it. But that also means the onus is on us to be heard well, you know. So um, we could just go stand on the street corner and hold up a sign or, you know, shout out a few words and say, well, this is the truth. I've communicated it over to you. It's up to you what you do with it. But that's not how God works. God, you know, incarnates himself in Jesus. He communicates in a way that is in our language, in our, so, so that we might understand. And so I think the same for us. How do we take that onus on ourselves and say we have the responsibility to, if we're not being heard well, not to change the message, but to change the way we're communicating it or the tone we're adopting so that it is heard well. And how people experience the relationships they have with us. Absolutely. And the way we live in the world and yeah. how we interact with neighbours and the city and the cultural issues of the day. And, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, so it's not just word, it's, yeah. it's the whole of life. One of the things that I love, and again, maybe the nerdy in bit of me comes out, but <laughs> but in Isaiah there's that famous passage where it talks about, you know, how, how beautiful the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Yeah. And, and the idea of the gospel being proclaimed. But the Hebrew word there for proclamation, for the announcement and for the sharing of the good news is is mashama, get Hebrew in again, which is actually from the verb to hear. So you would think it would be from the verb to speak, but it's actually, to get technical, the uh, hifl or the causative form of the verb to hear. But essentially it's to cause others to hear the good news. Yeah. And so I think sometimes, and I can see this temptation in myself as well because I love talking and You're I love language. You're a teacher and a preacher. <laughs> so, and, yeah. Yeah. and so I can think it's all about what I say, yeah. what comes out of my mouth. But yeah. actually it's about what is received and what is heard. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a posture of love, isn't it? It's it a is. posture that says yeah. the other person is the priority and yeah. making sure that they have heard um, is more important than making sure that I have spoken. And it means we have to do the work of patience and listening and yeah. putting ourselves in other people's shoes and taking time to understand the person and their story and culture. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. a challenge. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, our uh, your role and our, your team are hoping to do is to continue to support and train and encourage pastors and leaders mm-hmm. across our movement. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and particularly what we would hope we could invite people into? Yeah. We, again, as Baptists, <laughs> you know, we believe everybody is called to serve Jesus. And so we talk about... If you want to use more old-fashioned language, the priesthood of all believers or, you know, the ministry belongs to the whole church, that every church is a minister. Sometimes people ask, like, why don't we call our pastors ministers? And sometimes we do, but one of the reasons we don't tend to use that language is because ministry belongs to all of us. And ministry looks like, you know, serving Jesus as an accountant and ministry looks like, you know, serving Jesus as a mum with your kids and, you know, it's something we all do in every aspect of our lives. But we do also recognise that God gifts and calls people to have particular roles in our churches. And the role of pastors and leaders is really to equip and encourage and support the church members so that they can be on the ministry that God has called them to. And so, yeah, I think part of our role as an association and part of our team's role is particularly encouraging those people, calling 
out, you know, are like inviting them and raising them up and inviting people to consider and to step into those kind of roles. So my previous role um, in the ministry accreditation role, which Mike Bartlett has now taken on, you know, was really working with pastors and obviously I've been teaching in theological colleges as well. So I think I carry that into uh, this role as well. I'm really keen to see how God might be tapping people on the shoulder, raising them up, calling them, you know, maybe there's some someone like me who's, you know, 16 or 19 and, you know, just met Jesus and trying to figure out what to do with their life and doesn't know what it looks like but wants to be all in. And, and now they've heard the word of Melinda. I mean, God, <laughs> say to them, you are called into this. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. But but what might it look like, yeah. you know, to um, to give your whole self to this? And, um, yeah. yeah, God calls unexpected people to, to unexpected roles. And, you know, I... I think I'm a fairly unexpected person to end up in this role. Like, you know, I don't want to make a big deal of certain things, but this is the first time we've had a woman in this role. Yeah. I'm probably maybe younger than I, although I think Mike was actually about the same age I am now Similar when he started. Age, so yeah. I'm older than people think I am. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that people, if they were coming up with the, you know, the ideal person for this role would necessarily come up with me. But that's not how God works. God doesn't kind of go, here's a list of attributes and let's find the perfect passion. God works with real people yeah. um, and their stories and their experiences and their gifts. And and so I just love that idea that there are people in our movement who might think, who, me? Or, you know, what, that's what I'm called to. Um, and the biblical story would say, hey, yeah, God, God's going to call probably sometimes the least expected or the most unexpected people. I often think of the people who can't see anyone like them yeah. in leadership and especially mm-hmm. in ministry and go I can't and, and them saying I can't imagine myself because I mm-hmm. can't see someone like me mm-hmm. there so I think it's fantastic that you're in this role that you're as visible as you are for young women mm-hmm. and women of all ages actually emerging leaders of all, all kinds to be able to see you in this role but for any of us to go actually God's imagination is quite different mm-hmm. to what we might have been used to seeing in different roles and, yeah. and leadership positions yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think also the the kind of models of ministry. So not always, but often in the past, the idea that there is kind of one person in a church who is the pastor, Mm. who's kind of all things (laughs) to all people. Sometimes the the wrestle that pastors have found and they're expected to kind of have this really broad um, leadership role. And I love seeing how God actually calls us to work in community and work collaboratively yeah. and gives different people. And so, you know, that's been part of our story at our church, but also here in the team that we're actually better together. And I love working in teams and recognizing that no one person can can lead in all the ways. Uh, and so actually being called to maybe to say, this is what I particularly have to offer. And there are other people who have different things to offer. How can we work together? Um, so I know that my leadership style you know is is different to anyone else's because it's a unique combination of my kind of passions and gifts and experience and training and you know all those things coming together and then I get to work with these other incredible leaders who intersect and overlap but also have really unique aspects of what they bring and so I'd love to see in our churches us just be open and and creative in how we work together and see different people in their leadership and ministry and pastoral roles kind of complementing in each other and being part of teams. I love yeah. being, I love imagining what it would look like to be more open to unexpected kinds yeah. of leaders. I, I, mm-hmm. That excites my imagination as I think about our local churches particularly and yeah. what that could be like. Uh, that's encouraging hopefully for people who might be listening and considering their own futures. We, all leaders of all kinds uh, in this last season, 
have been particularly challenged. Mm -hmm. um, we're very aware that many of our leaders are tired mm -hmm. because of the extra challenge we've been facing. But it's not just challenge, there's opportunity mm -hmm. through this season. Can you talk about both of those two things, the challenge and the opportunity? Yes, yeah, so I guess particularly this, you know, this season of this COVID season, for want of a better word. Um, and it's funny, we, we were doing the podcast last year, we were talking a bit about COVID and yeah. I think we were sometimes talking about it as if it was just 2020, you know. It was only going to be six months. Yeah, it's just going to yeah. be the short period of time. Yeah. And I think realising more and more, um, you know, whatever happens next, this is a moment that's going to shape us for a, a, a long time to come. Yeah. You know, I feel like, okay, probably the rest of my ministry life is going to be shaped by what has happened in the last year and a half and what was is still to unfold. Zoom will never go away. <laughs> Zoom is not going anywhere. <laughs> yes. But, you know, in deeper ways than that as well, yeah. I think we've learned some things and we've been challenged in some ways. But, yeah, like you said, there's been some opportunities as well. I know early on last year we, we used the language of what is this season both revealing and exposing. So it exposes some things that we realise, oh, um, we hadn't questioned that before. Like, why do we do things that way? Um, and it reveals some things that um, we hadn't seen before, like some resilience, but also maybe some ways of doing things that aren't sustainable. A really good example, so the day that we're recording this, we just have had one week. Like, we're pretty blessed in South Australia that we had that one Sunday where we were asked not to sing. Yeah. And I loved seeing the creativity that brought out in our churches. And don't get me wrong, I love singing. Yeah. I'm a big fan it's part of, of singing as part yeah. of worship. Yeah. But also we know that worship is so much broader than that. Mm. And, you know, I've studied the Psalms, so I've been hanging on about this for a while, haven't I, about how we can worship God in all kinds of ways with our bodies and with our imaginations and our emotions as well as with our voices. But, yeah, so that, that was an opportunity not to say, hey, we're never going to sing again, or but but to say, hey, this is actually a gift for us, if I can put it that way, to to explore and to think about something that maybe we've got comfortable and just gone, it's, it's, it's really easy to do a lot of singing every week and when we gather together, but when we're forced to think about it in a different way, maybe it has ongoing impacts beyond that. I found myself using this phrase that I'm not sure whether I should use or not, but I found myself talking a little bit about the gifts of COVID. Mm. And I, I wouldn't want people to mishear that and say the gift of COVID. I don't think COVID is a gift. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, you know it's, it's something that's part of the brokenness of the world. But God is able to use all things for his purposes. Yeah. And there's been these gifts that have been given to us in this season, realising how it's you know, got us to maybe pray more or it's got us to think about things differently or reflect in different ways or the creativity um, as you've mentioned absolutely yeah. the creativity yeah. that's come out of it so yeah i think that's been a blessing and an opportunity that will continue um, and i'm always been a person go back to the first question but i like to ask questions i know that uh brandon <laughs> you're who's good at it, senior too. pastor yeah. i worked with a long time would say to me because that's your spiritual gift the gift asking of asking questions. questions. I'm not sure whether he was saying that as a compliment or not. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the question. It does. <laughs> but, you know, to to just not assume that the way we've always done things is the way we should do it just mm. for the sake of it. Now, I said before, I love history. So sometimes you ask the question and you go, oh, absolutely. Now I understand why. I'm fully committed to that because I could see why. Yeah. But asking the question helps me hold on to and be committed to it. Sometimes asking the question um, helps me realise there's, there's no reason for that or we can change that kind of thing so I would I would underline the spiritual gift of your question <laughs> asking. I've, I've certainly grown because of your questions and I think it your contribution in that way has has helped our team uh, do things better do things more thoughtfully Thank more you. creatively at different times and dig deeper too yeah uh, and take and for me maybe personally I'll speak for myself and not the rest of the team take a little bit more time to work through some things before we jump into something and, and ask more questions yeah we are in a season of change Mm -hmm. And our, uh, many of our churches are changing in lots of different ways. 
uh, culture is shifting. There's some change happening in our team at the moment this year. There's plenty going on. Our movement, um, as we think through some of the different questions and issues, what's your reflections? Yeah, I think the the way that come across over the last before COVID. In, you know, in, in some of my studies and I think in a number of um, Christian writings over the last decade or so, but that's really been appropriate in this last year and in these seasons of change is the idea of liminality or yeah. liminal spaces. And so the idea of liminal, it comes from this kind of idea of um, a space that's not what it was but is not yet what it will be. So like in architecture, people talk about liminal spaces being places like a corridor or a stairway or an elevator because it's you're not where you were but you're not yet where you're going and that's, that's liminality. But liminality as an experience that you know consciously you're feeling like something has changed things are not how they were but also you know that this is not the new normal <laughs> we keep joking about the new normal but not sure that we're there yet whether we ever know when we get there yeah. um so yeah i think that that idea is helpful and in some ways resonates for us as christians because we are in a liminal space as christians all the time uh, so Jesus talks about the kingdom being both now and not, not yet, yet yeah. you know, so actually we live as Christians in liminal space. We live in, we are no longer living in the world as it was once was before we met Jesus. The world has changed. Jesus' resurrection has fundamentally changed everything. Yeah. We live in a new era, Paul says, like everything has changed. But also we know that we're not yet what it will be, that one day God is going to renew all the things and recreate and renew you know, everything. And so we live in this liminal space, in this in-between time of the now and the not yet. And we have to kind of enjoy that reality and wrestle with it and look forward with hope and anticipate what is to come, but also kind of make the most of and participate in what is now. So, yeah, it's like a, a yeah. micro version of what we're already living, which is maybe why it resonates. And with trust me. God in the ambiguity as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah. One of the – I think we've picked it up all the way through – our conversation today because it's part of who you are and your passion your and the way you speak about things but some a word you've used recently is um, that I've heard you say is internalizing the story of God yeah and you're someone who we know of who has memorized some parts of scripture both in English and in Hebrew (laughs) this is something you've thought a lot about you spent a lot of time studying your PhD in study before that even since then Tell, tell me some more about what's going on for you as you internalize scripture mm. and, and how it changes the way you live your faith and then maybe how we can think about that as a movement. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I think as I said before, like I, I would say over my life I tend to be a, a head person, you know, like I've done a lot of study and I like to think about things. But something has shifted for me in the last few years in realizing, realizing or, you know, grabbing hold of the truth that God engages with my whole self, you know, with me, both my mind and my body and my imagination and my emotions and my heart and my feet and, you know, all of all of me as a whole, not even in pieces like I've just made it sound. Yeah. But so this idea that I probably was trained to read the Bible and to study the Bible primarily as an intellectual exercise. Something to know. Yeah, something to know, information yeah. to gain. And that's great. And, you know, after I came out of Cape Henry, I could go to a quiz night and answer lots of <laughs> questions well because I'd know these random facts in the Bible. You still answer lots of questions well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that doesn't change my life, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, what is transformative yeah. is actually living in that truth. And so there's a few different ways I talk about it. I talk about this big story of God that we live in and live out of. So the Bible as a story that we actually enter into and participate in and then live out of and make known. I'm using my hands again. Um, and as you said, yeah, this word internalization, for me, that was the recognition that it is a different experience when I pick up the Bible and I read the words that it says 
and I think about them and then I put the Bible down and I put it back on the shelf and the words go back on the shelf with it, right? So I've kind of read them for a time and I've understood them or thought about them, but they go back. That's different to when the scripture lives within me, Mm. uh, when God's word lives within me. And I think that's what the Bible talks about a lot. And it's why I have become a bit of an advocate and a fan for internalizing scripture rather than using the word memorize. But that idea that if you spend time in the scriptures and you take it in and um, know it, and it comes out of you, mm. that's quite a different experience. Um, now, I know some people hear that and they think, oh, so it's about like rote memorizing mm. chunks of scripture. And that's not quite what I'm talking about. I think that's a great discipline and absolutely want to value that. But it's also a little bit more more than that, isn't it? It's it's knowing it to the point that it kind of flows out of you because it's part of your mm. experience and relationship with God. And, and I think, to go a bit nerdy again, I think this is what Paul is doing in the New Testament all the time. So I find this this really interesting debate that I've read about over the years that people read Paul's letters and he seems to be sort of quoting the Old Testament, mm. but kind of sort of quoting it because yeah. he's not getting it quite right. And sometimes really weird bits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and people will have these debates about, is he quoting the Hebrew version of the Old Testament yeah. or is he quoting the Greek version? Because we can't quite figure out which. Yeah. And I think, oh man, we've, we're making this assumption, right, that Paul is sitting at his desk with one copy of the Hebrew scriptures and one copy of the Greek Old Testament mm. printed out and he's writing his letter, you know, and he's referring and looking up these books like... That's how we work in our academic study. That's world. how we write essays. Yeah, yeah. that's how we write essays. <laughs> yeah. That is not how Paul's working. I mean, he probably yeah. didn't have a bound copy. You know, copies yeah. were so precious and valuable. They lived yeah. in the synagogues. And anyway, but he knows them. He knows the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He's been trained in it. He's immersed and versed in it as a phrase I often use. He knows it. And so it comes out of him. Yeah. And maybe sometimes he's not even quoting it. It is that he is so shaped by it that his own language sounds like the Bible because it's mm. been so shaped by it. And so that internalization then overflows. And this is not to say that his words become of equal weight to the scriptures, mm. but they're so shaped by the scriptures that what he says is consistent with mm. the scriptures and consistent with the story of them. And so I love that idea. And I would I would hope and pray that I might experience something of that, that I have been, you know, formed in the scriptures, immersed in them. I've internalized them. I've spent time in them, that they shape how I think, they shape how I speak, they shape how I live, they mm. shape, you know, everything about me because they're an internal, you know, by God's spirit, they dwell within me. This is so good. I wouldn't want anyone to think though that you'd have you have to internalize to a certain level <laughs> before you can start living it out. And so oh, one of the things we've talked about is practice. Yeah. And I really love that word. We love that word because mm. I would want to invite people and you can you can expand on this, invite people to as they internalizing scripture, to then put it into practice. Yeah. Yeah, so please don't hear that say me saying is you know you need to go and memorize you know your whole book of the Bible before you start to live. <laughs> that's not yeah, at all. What that's we're talking not about, how it works. It? Yeah. No, but whatever truth of the scriptures captures us, I hope we you know we carry that with us and it forms and shapes us. The the truth of who Jesus is, and you know it it starts when we first meet Jesus and first get to know him. It starts with the really simple truths of you know God loves me, Jesus is Lord. How does that shape how I live and how I think and how I see the world and how mm. I interact? Absolutely. And then in, in terms of oh, the idea of practice you yeah. just mentioned, yeah, I, I love that word too. We talk about it a lot in our kind of Sunday gatherings, yeah. um, trying to not just listen and hear the word or not just like listen to a sermon, but how do we practice it? And the thing I love about the word practice is it kind of has two meanings. Two so meanings, so yeah. one meaning of the word practice is to kind of experiment and, and have a go. You know, when you're practicing, you can say, oh, was on, I'm just practicing. Like I'm not good at it yet because I'm just practicing. And so there's permission yeah. to kind of get it wrong and make mistakes yeah. and have a go and try. And I think there should always be that because we're not trying to reach some standard. We're no. trying to 
you know, yeah. enjoy a relationship with God and get to know him better. Yeah. But so having freedom to, to give it a go. But then the other th- way that we use the word practice is kind of as a regular habit or discipline or practice. And so it's something that we do over and over again that shapes and forms us. I liken it to, you know, I learned the piano as a kid and I spent many hours practicing scales. Nobody ever asked me to play scales. <laughs> you know? I could play you a great scale if you wanted me to, but nobody wants me to. Yeah. But it's that practice that has shaped and formed me that's so that I can sit down and play a piece. Mm. You know, So that, that kind of idea that the disciplines um, and the habits of reading the scriptures, of praying, of spending time in community, sometimes might even feel a bit repetitive and a bit simple. But over time, that's what actually shapes you and frees you to, to live it out, to play the music, to use that corny <laughs> analogy there. So as you were talking before, uh, you talked about how the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that looks for life now as we as we try to follow Jesus, as we live as followers of Jesus as a movement? Yeah, I think, I don't know what the right word is, but I think following Jesus is, is so much more radical than we sometimes think it is or talk about it mm. as if it is. You know, I go back to myself as a 15-year-old kind of going, if this is true, like if what you're telling me is true, this changes everything. Um, and I feel that, you know, not every second and not every moment, but over and over again, I was reading through the Gospels with a friend um, a couple of years ago. We were meeting, you know, every couple of weeks and we were making my way through one of the Gospel stories. And we'd be reading in public places and talking about this story of Jesus. I just go, if these people walking by knew what we believed. If they actually knew. If they actually knew what yeah. we actually believe, they would think we are crazy. Like, this is a massive story that makes huge claims. It is a life-changing, world-changing, turning-everything-upside-down kind of story. And I think sometimes people have, in Australian culture, like having their imagination that being a Christian is kind of similar to any other way of life, just maybe slightly more polite or it's the number of things that you don't do. You think, no, following Jesus, like accepting this new reality and saying everything has changed because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is king. And I now not only see the world differently, I actually believe that I live in a different world than the world I lived in before. And so that excites me. That gets me yeah. like inspired and I want to excite and inspire other people about that. But it also challenges me. I just think like what we we have to kind of share with the world, what we have to live in and live out of, what we hope for, what we're looking for Jesus to do is, is so much bigger than I can ever capture in my feeble attempts with my words mm. <laughs> to articulate and yeah, so it's going to be a lifelong journey for all of us. And it's going to be a, what's the word, you know, era long journey until we get to the new creation and the renewal of all the things. But it's so exciting to be given the gift and the opportunity by God to be invited to live that out together. So that's great. Well, on that note, I think we'll leave it there. Melinda, thank you so much. You're my sister and my friend. You're our director of ministries, and we're so thankful for you being in this role. Thank you for sharing with us today something of who you are and what you're passionate about. And it's been great to hear a little bit more uh, of those things today, and particularly your love for Jesus, the way you internalize and practice your own living out of your faith. Uh, We're really thankful for what you've said today. Thanks for listening to Movement today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe, and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Season two of Movement is hosted and produced by the team at Baptist Churches of SA. We'll be back next week with a sermon from today's guest.